And we are going to be in Ephesians chapter 4, if you'll open your Bibles there. Well, as we get into it this morning, I'm reminded of a quote that I uh, put on uh, our website when we were starting as a church seven years ago. Uh, In defining who we are as a church, as Reliance Church, I said there that Reliance Church is more than a building, more than a program, more than a man. It's more than a Sunday. It's a family of believers, a group of diverse people, uh, united by a common relationship with Jesus Christ and with one another. Uh, And it's true. Uh, We are that church that, uh, man, by definition, it's not about the building, it's not about the program, it's not about the man, it's not about the Sunday, all of those are ingredients of any church, but it's not about those ingredients. Really, the church, by definition, it's, it's you, it's me, it's us together. The church is, is us people sitting together, the person sitting next to you, you, your wife, your, your family, and we together becoming a family of God that's seeking the Lord in, in a very unique way, in a diverse way, but in a very committed way. And, uh, and so the, the issue here is that, well, people are messy. They, they just are. You know, the Bible, you know how the Bible talks about you, right? The Bible speaks about you and basically calls you a sheep. Uh, and uh, and I, I, I don't know a lot about sheep. I don't spend a lot of time with sheep. But in reading about sheep, I know a few things about them. Um, that they're stinky, they're stubborn, and they're stupid. That's, that's what a sheep really is. And it's not a very flattering picture, but it's a very honest picture. People are messy. Um, we're stinky, we're stubborn, we frequently are stupid, um, and, uh, and that's who we are. And God lumps us all together, and he says, there, you are the church. And, um, and so, you know, <laughs> because people are messy, and because we're, we're all together, um, consequently, churches are messy. That's just how it is. People are messy, churches are messy. I always it always cracks me up when you get somebody, they'll leave a church um, and they'll say, well, you know, that, that church was really messy. And, and so, you know, and they'll, they'll leave a church and you're like, every church is messy. Now, I understand sometimes churches are profoundly unhealthy and you need to make a, a change because, you know, there's a, a, something that's very profoundly unhealthy in a particular church. I'm not talking about that. But what I am saying is that wherever you go, whatever church you're going to be involved in, um, because the church is people and because people are messy, every church is going to be a little bit messy. And what happens is, is that we, you know, we, we gather together and, and you know, you, you basically, everyone comes into church with baggage of some sort. You know, some people baggage, some people bags and carry on, some people, you know, they're just loaded, weighted down. Everybody comes into church, you know, with baggage of some sort. And the beautiful thing about the church of Jesus Christ is that as messy as we are when we come in, God does a transforming work in our lives. And and what happens is as we spur one another on towards love and good deeds, and as God inhabits the praises of his people, and and as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another, what happens is as we come together, we see this work where we don't leave the same way that we came in. It's, it's an amazing, beautiful thing. And, you know, it, it, it's also amazing, equally amazing, when you, you fill up a room with flawed people, with messy people, uh, and then God shows up. And, and he, he, he not only works to perfect us, but, but he does that work 
Well, he actually uses flawed men and women, oftentimes, to do that work of completion in our lives. Now, you know, it just blows my mind that we, unholy, messed up pieces of work, that what happens is God can come in and that we gather together and he meets us there, he moves, he works, and he's sovereign and he's doing his thing, but then he'll reach for his chosen tool and it'll be somebody who's just as messed up as we are and yet God will work through them in the body of Christ to build us up. And I think what amazes me even more than that isn't just that God uses messed up people to minister to me, but that he uses me as I'm messed up to minister to other people and that together he does this sovereign work. Peter says in in 1 Peter that we like living stones are being built into a a holy tabernacle for God. That God takes us as these these flawed, imperfect, baggage-carrying people and he puts us together in the church And he does this sweet work in our lives, this sanctifying work. Now, I'm not talking about the work of salvation. That's God's work entirely. We we don't have nothing to do with that. That's entirely the work of God. He dies on the cross for our sin in our place. And he redeems us. We are saved by grace through faith. Not of the works that we do, but by placing our faith and our trust and our hope in God. I'm not talking about salvation today. I'm talking about the work of of sanctification that God does to build us up into his image. And he, he takes us and he shaves those pieces off our lives that are displeasing to him. Those aspects of our life that need to go, that need to die. And, and those areas of our lives where we need to grow and develop. And he does that incredible growing, developing work through one another. And this is precisely where we left off last week. Last week, the big idea of the message was that we each have a calling and a gifting from God. And we're each exhorted to walk worthy of that calling. And we saw that, that God calls pastors to, to train and to equip the members of the church for the work of ministry. And then also, he, he gifts those members, each one of us individually, within the body of Christ, to carry out the work of the ministry. Uh, Here's the way Paul puts it, uh, beginning in verse 11 of chapter 4. He says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of, and of the fullness of Christ. And so, God doing this work in us, and what happens is, the idea is that as we come together to seek the Lord, to worship Him, to study His Word, to bear one another's burdens, to spur one another on towards love and good deeds, and then as we each join God in His work with the gifts and the talents that He's given to us, uh, in, in obedient service, then what happens is, man, as we do that, well, Paul says we grow in maturity and ultimately God unites us and he perfects us until, verse 13, we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This is the work that God does. 
That we, verse 14, should no longer be children. You might want to circle that. I'll come right back to that. Tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. Now that word children, I had you circle it. The idea there, it, can, it speaks of an infant or a little child. And, and uh, here's the idea. Um, I've got three children. And I have, I have uh, four, uh, or th- I have three children and I have six grandchildren. Uh, and, uh, and so my children, they're adult children. So they don't qualify as, you know, when Paul's talking about children here, he's speaking of an infant or a little child. How many of you have, have little children that would fit that category? Several of you. Okay, little children. So you know the idea of a little child. Um, well, a child, as far as your family is concerned, they're a blessing, and, and, and you love them and, and all, and, and then really, you know, the, everything revolves around them. But let's be honest, they add nothing to the bottom line of your family. They, I mean, they, they're useless. They don't, they don't, as a matter of fact, they, they suck all the energy out of, they, they rob you of your time, they rob you of your strength, they rob you of your sanity, right? I mean, kids can just, like, they're a huge draw on the bottom line productivity of your family. They really, truly are. Now, we, we, they, they rule our world, we love, they've got us wrapped around their finger, and they know it. They're, they're like little terrorists, you know. Um, but the, the thing is, is that the, the idea here, what Paul is talking about, is I got three adult children. I got six grandchildren. Uh, my grandchildren are four years, and younger, four years of age and younger. And so they don't cook. They don't clean. They don't pay rent. Uh, they don't do dishes. Um, sounds like a college roommate, right? And, and that's okay because at this point, that's what's expected of them. They're, they're kids. They're, they're, you know, they're supposed to do that. But the reason that I have six grandchildren is because the three children that I did have, who, again, like them at one time, didn't cook, didn't clean, didn't pay rent, you know, major drain on the bottom line of the family. But the, but the reason why I now have six grandchildren and my family is growing, that's key, uh, the reason that I have them is because the children that I had grew up. They grew up, they became mature, they, they began to cook their own food, to wash their own clothes, to, to go to their own job, to pay their own mortgage, you know, and to do all of these things. And so what happened was, the result was, the family grows and new children are added to the family. Now, I want you to understand the big picture. Here in the book of Ephesians, it's basically divided into two parts. And, and the first part of the book of Ephesians talks about the wealth that we have in Jesus Christ. The second half of the book of Ephesians talks about our walk in Christ. So we have our wealth in Christ. We have our walk in Christ. And, and what I want you to understand is that our wealth in Christ is inextricably linked to our walk in Christ. Our wealth in Christ is, in, Christ is inextricably linked to our walk in Christ. And so the idea here is this, that, man, 
ultimately, my wealth in Christ, it has to lead to a walk in Christ if the family is to grow, if the family is to be healthy. See, my kids, they benefited greatly from the wealth that they had in me. They, they had a home, they had three hots and a cot, you know, they, they had meals, their education was paid for, the wealth that my children had in me, they, were, they, they had my love, my affection, my protection, they had incredible wealth from, that they enjoyed from me as their father. And so what happens is, is that the, the wealth that they enjoyed in me, well, the time came when they had to... Uh, it had to be translated, the wealth that they enjoyed to the walk that they would employ. You get, you get what I'm saying? You're tracking with me? There had to be that time of transition in their life. And, and so the time came when the wealth that they enjoyed had to translate into their walk. Uh, and uh, and this, is, this is what Paul has been saying. Paul's talking to these Ephesians, and he basically, up to this point, he said, look, I'm living my life expressly and entirely for Jesus, uh, to the extent that I'm now his prisoner, I'm potentially facing the death penalty. But, you know, none of these things move me, he would tell the Ephesian elders, uh, but that I can finish my race with joy. And the race that he set before me, man, I want to finish that race. And so he goes on, he says, Therefore, I beseech you to walk worthy of your calling. I'm walking worthy of mine. I've enjoyed the incredible wealth in Christ. Now I'm walking worthy of the calling which God has called me. You, likewise, you've enjoyed incredible wealth in Christ. You need to walk worthy of the calling with which he's called you. Right into the Corinthians, Paul said this in, in 1 Corinthians 13. He said, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. See, the idea is that true Christianity should result in a fundamental change in who you are. As people ponder your life as a Christian, um, they should come to the conclusion, hey, you know what, you're different. They, they should look at your life and say, man, your walk is different. Your talk is different. The way you handle problems is different. The, the way you love your wife, the way you love your children, it's different than the world. You're, what's different about you? I think of, of my wife on the movie set with my son, and uh, I think they were filming a commercial, and the, 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 there was a, it, it was a commercial for DirecTV, and there were literally dozens of kids that were, that were involved and on the set and running crazy, uh, and my son had one of the speaking parts in the commercial, and, and he, was, he wasn't running crazy like all the rest, and the director's looking uh, at, at my son, and he walks up to my wife at one point, and he says, What's different about your kid? My wife's like, you really want to know? Because I'll tell you if you really want to know. And, uh, of course, then when she told him that, hey, we raise our, our children to know the Lord, uh, to obey what the Bible says, he was doing the backstroke. He's like, oh, good for you. That's great for you, you know, kind of thing. But, see, the thing is, is that that's the way our lives should be, that people in the world, they look at our, our kids People in the church, they look at our kids, they look at our life, they look at our wife, they look at the things that we do. They should conclude, what's different about you? Listen, if you work at a job with somebody, you've worked with them for years, and then one day out of the blue, they find out you're a Christian, they're like, you're a Christian? And that's a red flag. 
You, you ought to worry. If somebody doesn't know you're a Christian, that's the point. That your approach to trials and temptations should be different. Your attitude about money and sex and alcohol and personal liberties, uh, the way you handle your responsibilities, all these things, they ought to be different. Um, here's the problem. All too often, it's not. All too often what happens is we have people that will be in church, that will go to church, and their walk doesn't match their talk. That's all too often. I mean, frequently, I'll, I'll be on Facebook and I'll see pictures that people post. I'm, I'm astounded that people post the pictures that they post. I mean, you would think, you know, at, at the very least, they'd be like, let's sweep that one under the rug. But no, they just stick it out there. I'm, pr- I'm proud of this. And you look at some of these posts of people that call themselves Christians, and, and I'm not being judgmental. I'm just saying I see some of the posts, and I'm like, you took Jesus there? Really? That's where you brought the Lord? You know, and so what happens is a lot of times that, well, we don't live what we profess. Our walk doesn't match our talk. Paul's saying here, listen, you know, the, the issue is, man, you, you have an abundant wealth in Christ. You ought to walk worthy of it. Your walk ought to match up uh, with that. G. Campbell Morgan said, the measure of failure on the part of the church is the measure in which she has allowed herself to be influenced by the spirit of the age. We're sometimes told today that what the church supremely needs is that she should catch the spirit of the age a thousand times no. What the church supremely needs is to correct the spirit of the age. See, by and large, you know, as Paul says to these Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 13, is he says, look, I, 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 when I was a child, I spoke as a child, and I understood as a child, and I, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. When Paul says that to the Corinthians, man, the, the, the real problem with the church in Corinth and the very people he's writing those words to was, well, to quote G. Campbell Morgan, the church in Corinth had caught the spirit of the age. Um, massive sexual sin and massive perversion and compromise eroding the church there in Corinth. And, and uh, man, they, they, it just spills over into everything they're doing. They've got, they've got a ton of infighting, lots of division. Their church was so messed up that they would celebrate communion, which, you know, as we partake of communion every, every Sunday, the idea is that we would remember what Jesus did, did for us that the bread is symbolic, representative of his body broken for us, and the, the cup, symbolic of his blood shed on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. That we remember Jesus died on the cross for my sin in my place. And the, these Corinthians would get so, so incredibly off track that now when they would gather for communion, they were actually getting drunk on the communion wine. Uh, they're eating all the food before somebody could get there. Oh, they got to work late? Too bad for them. They should have gotten here earlier kind of thing. And Paul is calling them on this saying, what on earth is wrong with you guys? What are you doing? What are you thinking? And so, you know, he writes 1 Corinthians trying to get them back on track. You know, he's, he's covering things like divisions and infighting and lawsuits and sexual immorality and perversion and, and the importance of keeping your marriage vows and the danger of idol worship and why it's probably not a good idea to get drunk when you're going to communion. You know, I mean, this is really what, <laughs> read 1 Corinthians. I mean, this is what he's talking about. And, um, 
And beginning in chapter 12, which is pertinent, you're like, why are you talking about 1 Corinthians? Well, beginning in chapter 12, this is pertinent to what we're talking about today. Paul starts talking about their responsibility in the use of their spiritual gifts. Just as he would talk to the Ephesians about the importance of them using their gifts, that the the Lord has given gifts to us, given gifts to men. And, uh, and so what he explained to the Corinthians, just as he explained to the Ephesians, hey, listen, there are many gifts distributed among the church, and we've, you've got a responsibility to use them and to work together in unity. And, um, and, he, and then he, he develops these gifts, that, talking about gifts, and then he goes into chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, having talked about the gifts in chapter 12. In chapter 13, what's the, what's the subject matter? It's love. It's love. He basically says, look, I, now I've talked to you about all the gifts and I've talked to you about everything that you ought to be doing and how you use the church, you know, should be mature and you're not. Um, but let me just tell you, if you can do all that stuff, you do the most amazing stuff, but, but if you don't have love, it's worthless. It doesn't mean anything. And, and this is exactly what Paul now conveys to the Ephesians. He says all the exact same things when he's talking to the Ephesians. In, in verse 12, he talks about the absolute need to serve and to be equipped, we talked about that last week. And in verse 13, he talks about, you know, the goal of our serving and our being equipped is that we would have a unity of faith and, and the knowledge of God. He, he goes on in verse 14 to talk about, hey, this results in maturity. That you, if you, were, if you as, a, as a body of, of believers, you, yeah, we're all a piece of work. Get together. Sit under the teaching of, of, a, of, a, of a godly pastor who's teaching the Word of God. Discover and use your spiritual gifts. Serve one another. Serve the Lord. Be obedient to Him. Get in that environment. And what he's articulating is if you'll do that, the result will be that you will be mature. You'll grow up. Now, he also goes on to talk about how we're going to be pr- protected from the attack. And, and, and he's going to get right into that. But the idea is, man, it all stems from speaking the truth in love. Listen again what he says, verse 14. He says that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. We're going to come right back and talk about that. But here it is, speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, According to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying, the building up of itself, and here it is, in love. Here's the dynamic. Paul is saying, listen, you as a church, yeah, we're all a piece of work, but, but it's a very simple fix. You, you have to love the Lord, love one another, Jesus asked, what's the most important commandment in in the law? Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments, he said, hinge all the law on the prophets. Your whole Bible summed up, loving God, loving others. And Paul is saying, get together in the church, love God, love one another, discover and use your spiritual gifts, sit under solid teaching. What's going to happen? Or you're going to grow up, you're going to become mature. And you need to grow up and you need to become mature because there are people who are out to attack you. There's people who are, who, who are discernedly, or discernedly, decidedly looking to, to lead you astray. Now, again, this is what's going to protect us from this deception. And 
one of the things that we are going through right now um, is that there is a full court press within the church, or against the church, I probably should say, even within the church, to, to deceive us, to divide us, to cause us not to be unified. And, and one of the things that, you know, when Paul talks about this idea that we have to be together, and he talks about really this unified love that we need as a church, one of the things that we need to do is we need to identify what is unified love and what isn't unified love. Because there is right now a full court press by the enemy getting us to, to figure out, you know, hey, what's, what is uni- unified love? Because I'll tell you what it's not. It's not absolute tolerance. And this is the message that is being foisted upon us. You're intolerant. Christians are hate mongers. You, 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 you need to be loving. You need to be accepting. You need to be tolerant. And, and so the, the, the issue is that the false doctrine that's being taught, many teach that loving unity means that we get rid of all of our convictions, that, that we get rid of all of our distinctives, everything that makes us uniquely Christian in order to be close to everyone. We just need to coexist. We need to tolerate. We need to be open-minded. And here's what I would say. I would say not at the expense of the truth. Not not at the expense of the truth. Because the issue is, if I am tolerant of something that God is intolerant of, then who has the problem? Me or God? Well, I've got the problem. See, if God is intolerant on an issue, then we must also be intolerant. Now, There's a a way that we need to speak the truth in love, and this is what Paul talks about. But we need, at the end of the day, to stand for truth. That's the issue here. And we're never going to know the truth if we're not together in a Bible-teaching church where Christians are serving one another, where we have a heart to reach the lost, and and where we, we accept, yeah, we're not perfect, don't claim to be, not trying to be, I'm just trying to obey the Lord the best I can. And that has got to be the thing that, that, that spurs us on. That's got to be the thing that, that we're doing. <coughs> so many teach that loving unity means I get rid of all my convictions and, and, and all the distinctives. But what that does is that elevates unity above the truth. And when we do that, it's no longer loving. It's divisive. And it, listen, Paul calls it cunning craftiness and deceitful plotting. It's interesting as you, as you look at that and as you, you know, just explore what is cunning craftiness, what is deceitful plotting, really the idea is to lure away. You think of a child molester. He, he rolls up on a, on a little kid. He opens his door and he says, uh, hey, hey, little girl, hey, little boy, here's some candy. I actually went to a girl in uh, first, went to a school in, uh, to school with a girl in first grade, um, and uh, this little first grade girl, she had a guy pull up uh, next to her, he opens the door, and he's got a little puppy, he's like, hey, do you, do you want to see my little dog? And thankfully, that little girl had been warned by her, by her parents, you know, to run, and so she ran like crazy, ran to the school, the police were involved, I remember they locked down the school, it was this, this big, you know, drama going on, might have ended horribly, 
And this, and this is the idea that there is a cunning craftiness, a deceitful plotting by the enemy seeking to lead us astray, just like a child molester might. And what Paul does is he says, listen, you can't be a child. What is, what's the definition of a child? Well, in many ways, it's someone who's not taking responsibility, not growing up, not taking the actions they should take. But here also, in terms of this deceitfulness and this cunning, cunning craftiness, well, a child's very trusting. A child's very gullible. I mean, you, you go to a child, and you're like, oh, I got your nose, and they run away, quiet, he's got my nose, you know, kind of, right? And so, so the issue here is, is Paul saying, look, you've got to grow up. You've you got to understand that there, there's deceitfulness and, and crafty, cunning plotting of the enemy. The Bible says that Satan prowls around like a roaring lion looking for whom he can devour. You ever watch a nature show? I mean, who does the lion always get? He gets the one on the outside, gets the straggler on the fringe, the one that's, that's not doing so well, the one maybe that's not so healthy. Now, I don't know about your testimony, but I think about my testimony and the time when, when I'm the most susceptible to the attack of the enemy. It's when, when I've, I've gotten separated a little bit from my brothers and sisters in Christ. It's when I'm not sitting regularly under the regular teaching of God's Word. When I'm not in the the Word, when I'm not in prayer, when I'm not in fellowship with the Lord and with His people. Hey, listen, that's where the enemy wants you to be. And, And here's how we deceive ourselves a lot of times, guys. Listen, a lot of times we'll come to church. Hey, Pastor Ted, you're preaching the choir. It's Sunday, I'm here. That ain't gonna get it done. We gotta be in the Spirit, in the Lord, in fellowship with Him and His people. Man, the the whole reason that my wife and I planted our first church was because we were going to church on Sunday, and at the time we lived in Menifee and our church was in Temecula, and, and so because I'm at the fire station and I'm gone a bunch and because, you know, we've got three kids and, and, and they're all in diapers at this season and because getting to Temecula was a chore, we would be in fellowship on Sunday and the rest of the week, it was our beer drinking party and neighbors who we're, who we're hanging out with. And, and even as baby Christians, we realized we can't live like this, man. This is not going to get it done. We need to be in fellowship. Listen, Paul uses this illustration of being tossed to and fro. Um, it's interesting. It's the, it's the same root word that is used in, in Luke's gospel to describe the, the stormy sea. You remember the story that the disciples go out and the, they're, they're being tossed around in this boat by the storm and they're freaking out and they call out to Jesus, how can you be asleep kind of thing? And he calms the winds and he calms the waves. And just as that storm tossed their boat and impeded their progress and ultimately really was life-threatening, I mean, we have to remember they were commercial fishermen freaked out about this storm, so it was quite a storm. And in the very same way, Paul says that we can be tossed about by different winds of doctrine. Very important. We need to understand this. And the, the, the cure for that is that we grow up. And the only way we're going to grow up is together sitting under good teaching, being in the Bible, being in fellowship with other Christians. That's what's needed. That's what's prescribed. Paul said to Timothy, hold on to faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith. 
again, he said to the Corinthians, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, and, and that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Now, notice what he's saying there. He says, man, you, you know, I'm pleading with you, brethren, your family, be connected. And then all of these words of connection, hey, speak the same thing. No division. Be perfectly joined together. Same mind. And then he says, in the same judgment. And that, that word judgment, the idea is to know, to understand, to perceive. What is it that we are to know? What is it that we are to understand? What is it that we are to perceive? The truth. That's the issue. Not believing a lie, not being lured into going the, the, with the, along with the flow of the entire world. It goes in, in it, it, Jesus said it's a, it's a narrow road that leads to life. And few take it, but it's a wide, broad road that leads to destruction, and there's many on that road. It's just the, the course, it's just the flow of how it goes, being caught up in the current of the world. And so the idea here is that we are to unify around the truth. And listen, the truth is found in Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John's gospel, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So if Jesus is the truth, and he says he's the only way to the Father, if we allow someone through deceitful and and cunning work uh, to lead us astray, if if we allow that to lead us astray from the truth, we're not going to the Father when we deviate from the truth. That's a hugely important thing. And so unity doesn't mean open-hand tolerance of all things. And, and by the way, just in case I, I need to emphasize that, just in case you're going, well, you know, come on, uh, Pastor Ted, I mean, you know, we've got we to gotta love people. I mean, there is a place for tolerance, and there is a place for love. And I would say, yeah, there is, but listen. There's, a, there's an account in the Gospels where Jesus goes into the temple and he's going to worship the Lord. And, and so as he goes into the temple, as he's going to worship the Lord, what he realizes there is, is that the, the religious leaders have all of these tables set up, money-changing tables. And, and, and here's basically how it worked. You know, when, when people would come to the temple, they're going to worship the Lord and, and they bring with them an offering, a sacrifice, and, and as they would bring the, the, the offering, the animal to sacrifice, you know, these guys, they would look at it and they would say, oh, let us inspect it. Make sure it's worthy to, to be okay to, to be sacrificed. And they'd, they'd give the animal the once over and then they'd be like, eh, no, no, you know what? You can't sacrifice this. It's got a blemish. Can't, you can't do that. But I'll tell you what you can do. 99.95, I got I to gotta sacrifice right over here. And you can buy one of the, the animals from us. You know, that, that is, you know, not without blemish and all. And, and so you can just buy it from us. Lord wants to heal you, but he ain't going to do it for free. You know, so here you go. And so what happens is, is that they would say, oh, man, well, okay, how much is it? And they would tell them the price, and they'd pull out their money, and they'd say, oh, wait, 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 wait. We need temple money here. You know, you need, you need to buy the Bitcoin. You need to exchange the, the currency that you've got for, for, the, for the temple currency. So, hey, you know, here you go. Uh, how much? It's, it's, yeah, this is the price, but, but this is the price in temple currency. 
And the exchange rate, man, they would jack that thing up so it would cost even more. They're making money hand over fist and they're making merchandise. And, and Jesus walks in, he sees these tables there, and what does he do? He says, oh, tolerance, that's your truth. And, and this is my truth, so the, that's your truth, this is my truth, sir. Okay, is that what he does? No, he made, he made a whip. He, he took the time to braid together a whip, and he drove them out of the temple. Jesus, intolerant? You bet he was. Because there's a time and a place where you, when push comes to shove, where you say, we will, I'm not going to tolerate that. We have to draw a line somewhere. In case you needed another biblical example, Paul, talking to the Galatians. He planted a church in, in Galatia. Then he left to go plant other churches and do other works, and he writes them a letter because he comes to find out after he left, these guys wormed their way into the church. And, and going into the church, what they started telling everybody was, oh, Jesus is cool and all. Yeah, you can worship Jesus, but you need to be circumcised too. And, you know, Jesus plus anything equals nothing. You know, that's the thing. So whatever, it, it's like you, it, your faith is either entirely in Jesus Christ or the work that he's done to atone for your sins or your, your faith is in something else. And the moment you place yourself, your faith into anything else, other than Jesus and him alone, you're in dire trouble. So Paul freaks out. He's like, what on earth are these guys doing saying that, that you need to be circumcised? And, and here's what he says. He says, I wish that those who trouble you would cut themselves off. Here's what it means, translated. Basically what he's saying is, hey, they're, they're saying you need to cut a little bit you know, of, of your unit off to be right with God. Why don't they just cut the whole thing off? That's what he says. Paul, that's intolerant. You bet it is. Because on certain issues, you have to say, I, there is no room for compromise. We need to be understanding. We need to, we need to be discerning. You say, well, how are we? You grow in the knowledge of what God has to say in his word. That's Paul's whole point here. We need to be in the word. We need to be in fellowship. It's so critically important because there is a concerted effort to lead you astray. That's the idea. So, we continue. Paul says this. Again, verse 16 sums it up. Listen, every part's got to do its share. You're all together. And, and Jesus, the whole body is knit together there. And, you know, and it, it, it's going to cause growth of the body, edifying itself in love. In verse 17, he says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their minds, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of your hearts. That word blindness is kind of cool. It literally means callousness. It's kind of like, you know, if you, if you do some sort of a trade, originally it hurts, but then what happens is you build up these calluses and then pretty soon it stops hurting. If you talk to one of the guitar players up here, as they play, when they're first learning to play, uh, it becomes painful, but then they build calluses up on their fingers and it becomes less painful. And that's the idea that ultimately, and what is, what is callus? It's just a, a collection of dead skin. And as it builds up, it numbs you to the pain. It deadens the pain. And that's what Paul goes on to say. He says, um, uh, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God, 
because the ignorance is in them, because of the blindness, the callousness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness, but you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on, verse 24, the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Listen, what Paul says is this. He says, look, we have this incredible wealth in Christ, and it ought to translate into a healthy walk. And he says, there, there's, there's a couple of different ways to walk. The Gentiles have a very distinct course, a very distinct path, a very distinct progress that they're making in their walk. And the believers in Jesus Christ also have a very distinct course, a very distinct path, a very distinct progress in the way that they walk. And and basically what he says is, look, you, you have to make sure, because you haven't learned you haven't learned that. You, you see the way that these Gentiles walk? You, you haven't learned to, to walk in that direction, to be like that. That's not you. That's not who you are. He says, you, you, haven't, you haven't learned Christ that way. And when he says, learn Christ, the idea, it's not simply the doctrine of Christ. No, the implication is Christ himself. You, you, have, you have encountered God. You have a, a personal relationship with God. And what has happened is you, you have, you've become a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And that's what the way that you have learned and grown and the new creature that you are, that's, you don't walk the way the Gentiles walk. That's not for you. That's not the way you're supposed to walk. And that's not who you are. And he adds in verse 21 in making that point, If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Now for us in the English, we hear the word if and we think if, maybe it is, maybe it isn't, right? You know, you're good if this. Oh, that's conditional. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Well, for the, in, in the Greek language, the, the word if can mean different things. Sometimes it's if, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. And other times it's used uh, if, uh, and it is, you know, and that's the way that, that this is used here. It's the idea of, look, you are in Christ. That's what he's saying. He's saying, um, indeed, you could even just take the, the word if off and just read it that way if it helps you understand it better. Indeed, you have heard him and you have been taught from him as the truth is in Jesus. Look, you're a Christian. That's not you anymore. That's what he's saying. Turn to, to, to Romans chapter 12. I'm going to complete my thought and we'll finish the, the study right there. But Romans chapter 12. Paul says this, beginning verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. That word present literally means to set near. You know, the idea is that I take my life and I, I set it near to the Lord. I let go of it. It's a, the idea is, Lord, this is, I'm, I'm giving my life to you. 
as, as an offering on the, on the altar. I, I set it before you. I let go of it. This is, this is the idea. Paul says this is what you do. You're called to present your bodies to God. It's reasonable. In verse 2, he says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. He says, don't let the world press you into its mold. That's the idea. But be transformed, be changed by the renewing of your mind. And he says, for, for I say, through, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. Sound familiar? That's what Paul's been saying. Hey, you walk worthy of the gift that you've received. You walk worthy and be in fellowship and, and be ministering one to another. And, and Paul says here, if, have, having gifts given to us, let's use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Verse 7, or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Verse 9, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Listen, here's, here's the idea, and we'll close on this. Paul is saying, you need to understand, incredible wealth has been yours, received in Christ. There's a responsibility to grow up and to walk now, to honor the Lord. And it's critically important that you understand that there is a full court press for your heart and for your mind, which makes it even more critically important that we, together, should assemble ourselves as the church, being taught the Word of God, understanding what I'm called to do and growing in the knowledge of the Lord, and growing in my obedience to say I'm a, I'm a committed part of making this a healthy body. And as we stay committed and healthy and tight and we don't straggle to the outside where the enemy is just looking to pick us off, then what happens is we, we will grow and we have a decision in that to make because there is a walk that the, that, that the world walks in. There's a way that the world walks in. And that's not our way. That's not what, that's what, not what we know in Christ. And you don't have to walk in that way. That's what Paul is saying. You don't have to walk that way. Put that off. Put on the new man because that's who you are. Walk in that way to honor the Lord. When I was a kid, my dad took me down to the Queen Mary. They had sailed it into Long Beach and they were retrofitting it. They were turning it into the hotel that it is now. And my dad took me down there when I was really young, when it was still in dry dock and um, what had happened was, as they were, you know, taking the ship, and they're, they're gutting it and taking a bunch of stuff out and, you know, and all, and basically going to leave the shell, and they decided they were going to take the smokestacks off, of off the Queen Mary, that they were going to sandblast all the old paint off them and uh, repaint them and st stick them back on. 
And, uh, and then that, you know, exposed the boilers that they were going to, you know, take the boilers out and get rid of everything again to gut the ship and make room for hotel stuff. Well, as they took the smokestacks off and they began to sandblast them, they basically discovered that there was no steel left. Quarter-inch thick steel completely rotted away. The smokestacks were completely and totally paint. 17 layers of lead paint had, had just now what you had was what used to be a smokestack, and now it's just paint. And I think that's a perfect description of the danger that we face because some of us, man, it all looks good on the outside, but what's going on on the inside, you'll never know. We don't want you to know. Fake it till you make it, man. How you doing? Everything's great. No, it's not. And you know it's not. And for some people, man, it's like these smokestacks of the, the, the Queen Mary, man. It's, it's, all, it's, just, it's all fake. It's all phony. It's just a big lump of paint. Elvis has left the building, man. Right? And so the issue for us as we close and as we come to the communion table, for you, the, my challenge, my exhortation, it's twofold. Number one, maybe you're here today and you've never surrendered to the Lordship of Christ. And we talk about these two walks and you say, I know nothing about that walk of righteousness. I don't know anything about that walk of peace. I don't know anything about that walk of hope. You can today. And I'm going to give you an invitation when we close in prayer. You can receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It's not by your works. It's just by simply saying, Lord, you died on the cross for my sins in my place. I believe it. By faith, I give you my life, and I do ask that you would transform it. I do ask that you would bring me into that body of believers. I do ask that you give me that hope. That's the first, that's the first point of application today. Second point of application, and this is going to be that point of application for the majority of you here today, that there is, there is some attention that you've got to give to your walk. And... Uh, and the Lord would just speak to your heart today and just tell you, my walk doesn't match my talk. And there's a lot of paint, but there's not a lot of substance. And so for you, I would say that as we close in prayer, you got some business to do with God. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And the idea there in confession is that we agree with God. We agree that his atonement is the only thing that's worthwhile. It's the only thing that, that, that will pay the penalty for our sin. We agree that God loves us and that he's cast, a, cast our sin as far as the east is from the west. That, it, that in him we will find forgiveness. That in him we will, we will be strengthened and restored. So for those of you that have a lot of paint and not a lot of substance, confess to the Lord. That's me. I admit it. I'm honest. Lord, be be. Be merciful, but do a cleansing work.